I'm Rob Smith, and you're listening to Audio Interference. On November 4th, 2015, Interference Archive hosted a panel entitled Solidarity, Distribution, Design, The Poster Today, which explored the intersection of graphic design and socio-political engagement. Josh McPhee of Interference Archive moderated the event and was joined by artists Dred Scott, Camila Janan Rashid, and Avram Finkelstein for a rousing discussion that touched on topics of appropriation, respectability politics, and even the Fast and Furious movie franchise. Following brief presentations of their work, the artists took questions from the audience, the first of which asked the panelists to share their thoughts on circulation methods for images of solidarity. Camila responds first. I guess I got really interested less less in the circulation and more in the activation, because I think that the, the circulation question seems like not an easy logistical question to solve, but I feel like we can borrow systems for circulation, right? I'm really interested in like what happens when people see these things and how are they being used, because I feel like that's the part of the conversation that doesn't get a lot of attention. And so I would, and I don't have any answers, but I would be interested in thinking more about like how do we activate the things that are circulated, because there's tons of stuff being circulated right now. There are tons of posters, there's tons of memes, which I think also do function in many ways as a form of, of a political poster. Um, there's tons of images, there's tons of text, uh, and it's just circulating, circulating, circulating. But there doesn't seem to be um, a way that we've, we've talked about of how to digest and unpack the things that we're receiving. But I also feel like it's become a situation of, because so many things are circulating, we're in this excerpting bite-sized culture where we're not diving deep into anything. So we'll see a poster or something, cool, police brutality sucks. That's and I know a couple of the names of the people who've been killed. I feel like I've been educated about it. I can go on and like have a conversation about it. But like, how do we activate meaningful and fruitful conversations that lead elsewhere? Because I think about the poster as a way of starting a conversation, but I don't feel like we talk enough about how that conversation is started and where that conversation goes beyond talking. Because we can all talk. We're all like talkers. Can we can all do that? But like, what happens? How do we activate the things that have been circulated? I think you've hit on a couple of That's Avram speaking. things there, and it also relates back to what you were talking about, about ha- anger. And the real conundrum is, again, it's the master's tool. So, all right, so Arab Spring, yes, it was amazing that groups of people, masses of people were able to mobilize in that way that has never been historically true before. But what got them into the fucking streets is the question, and a phone won't do that. And that's, that is your question. It's not just mobilizing or organizing thought or, you know, I, I really do think it's a straw man that they are putting there for us. And I feel like it's a mistake to get caught in that trap. I think the question is, what are the, what's the, I'm going back to content, and it's, I'm flogging this horse, but I really do feel like it's the message that's the key, not the delivery system. I think the, the messages. I think they're both important, right? Because if the delivery system doesn't get the message out to the people that you want it to get to, right? A lot of things are circulated through digital means. If you don't have access to digital means, there's a bunch of stuff that you're missing, right? We live under the privilege of having Wi-Fi where we go, but we travel to other parts of the world. Even other parts of the country, people don't have Wi-Fi, so they're not always accessing all of these things. So I think the distribution method is important, um, but I feel like we've shifted a lot of the attention towards the means and just the act of distribution versus the content and what we do with the content. And I feel like it's also become like, um, it's become sort of like an aesthetic movement of like, I have this poster, or I have this shirt, or I have this thing that like represents this movement that I may tangentially or be deeply involved with. And that's sort of where it ends, because I feel like that's easier 
that's easier work to do and I think the easy work should be done but again I think like what happens after the easy er work is, is done like after it's distributed then then what Josh McPhee chimes in I mean we've been it's interesting at the, at the archive we here we struggle with we, we had an article in the Guardian um, a couple weeks ago and it's really interesting how you can put on put immense amounts of work into doing shows and and um, getting like tons of people to come through the door and all this like real work and it feels oftentimes like people don't really notice and then you get an article in some news source that people recognize and then like 5,000 people share it and it becomes this thing and there's a way in which like you can say it's about the content but the reality is is that the distribution system at this point completely over comes the content. Uh -huh. um, and so I don't think you can think about them separately anymore. Which is why I think the question of like, what does it mean that we have the potential to distribute all these images uh -huh. in the billions, but it's actually not happening, uh -huh. is, it gets, is, is, a, is a really um, sort of structural one. It's, it's not just... But I think part of the, the distribution, it's not just lack of distribution, but it's that the... That's the voice of Dred Scott progressive or radical or revolutionary movements are comparatively small right now. Occupy was comparatively large. Black Lives Matter is comparatively large. But the question of sustained movements and links with other movements similar to them internationally are, are fairly fragile and new shoots. And I think that the, the basis to, I mean, it's like the Black Panther newspaper was the largest selling national newspaper weekly national newspaper at its time. They were often selling 100,000 copies or more. Even if you had the printing press and could you know, produce 100,000 for free right now, and even had sort of activists to go out and sell it, you wouldn't sell 100,000. You probably know, couldn't even give them away. <laughs> you might be able to give them away. I mean, you know, there, there, are a lot of, there are a lot of copies of, of Metro or whatever that get given. But I mean, I think that's the point. I mean, it's, you know, people have said that's passe. We don't need that kind of movement. And, you know, as people were talking about even the, how, you know, college debt is, is shackling people and make, forcing them to do other things. But I do think that, that, you know, distribution is a problem. I think you're right to pay some attention to that. But I... I think that the bigger thing is how do we actually build movements, and I would argue a movement for revolution, that will be the basis upon which people not only could give things away, but people will contribute to building that movement, including figuring out the ways to financially support it and transforming and bringing forward other people into it. So uh, this is so interesting. I want to come back to um, your work. Um, so this is a question for all three of you, but also for you, about um, the pull yourself up by your bootstraps. Love it. <laughs> um, like my Facebook feed, half the time is other uh, men of color who often like need to tell me about how they've done it and that I'm like a step away from doing it. <laughs> You'll make it. I know, right? Just pull a little harder. Bro. Right, right. So, but then it's also interesting, I've, I, I've taught in the New York City public school system on and off for a while, and then primarily POC spaces, um, that this is now becoming, it's slowly becoming now, uh, but it probably has been the last 10 years actually, um, pull your pants up. Mm -hmm. 
Mm -hmm. So I'm, I'm wondering what you all think about that sort of relationship. And the, the thing that I really, the larger thing I want to ask about is, um, I don't know if, has anyone seen uh, Furious 7? The movie? <laughs> no. Love it. Furious? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, not Furious 7. But, but I haven't seen any of them. But, oh my god, there's some words here. He's a revolutionary. He's like a well, okay, because, well, because, because it's, it's not, but it, it's, it's a fantasy. Uh, to not give away the story, Seven is about <laughs> Don't worry. A bunch of cars in... No, 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 that's cars. <laughs> multiracial, international, you know, uh, cell operating. Yeah. Right. right? And there is nothing like it. It was in theaters for months, and I was so excited to see it because it was the closest thing to what I could imagine a revolution to be like. <laughs> Whether there were all of these characters, they all brought something to the table, they got past identity politics. I love those stories. So, <laughs> so but, but, that, uh, but that idea of, like, of how the fantasy of that sort of revolution is just being co-opted and being sold back to us. So just, I don't know if you guys could talk about the fantasy. And stuff. Yeah. Hmm. So just to the, the question around pull your pants up, I wanted to address that first. I think that respectability politics is like the most poisonous, horrible thing on the planet um, because a lot of it is becomes like self-policing um, and the myth behind that is if you become a respectable, well-liked black person, queer person, whatever, then you won't get killed, you won't get shot, you won't be hurt, you'll make it in society and I think it's the myth that my parents grew up with, it's the myth that I was also told um, and I also feel like having attended primarily white private institutions since the age of 12 and being like the standout black kid who like made it like you finished high school at 16 you went to this great college you did all these things being presented as like the example of what everyone else could do is a lot of pressure but it also is part of the mythology around um this idea that being respectful is what gets you ahead in society so it's a very frustrating thing and i'm sure working in school you often see that language around how we police students and the way that they engage and if you act better and behave better then you'll make it in the world um, and it's the mythology that we keep promoting because it relieves an entire system of any responsibility or culpability for actually dealing with the things that they've created um, and around this like idea of selling our selling selling these fantasies back to us I mean that's the purpose of like capitalism and, and ad selling right it's a fantasy that's being created and you think it is the thing that you want and the thing that you have desired but it's something that's been created for you that you now digest as something that you actually want um i think it's very clever i think it's very smart right so we all like we all watch these things and we say this is what we want this is what it should look like but i think uh this is something i've been thinking about a lot someone asked i did a show it was it was around like ideas of like black utopia and um these free communities that there's a place in Weeks, there's Weeksville in Brooklyn, which is one of the first yeah. uh, free black communities. And um, someone asked a question about, like, um, what does black utopia look like to you? And, like, would you want to live um, in, like, a black utopia? And I was like, I mean, actually, no, I wouldn't, because someone's idea of a utopia is probably not my idea of utopia. And someone's fantasy of what a revolution in, in a and a post-class world looks like is probably not going to be my version because someone's utopia probably doesn't include, include queer people. Someone's utopia probably doesn't include Muslims. Someone's there are so many things that I think we've gotten to this um, pathway of thinking that the world that we will all want, that we've all already agreed upon it and that we just have to get there. 
when the reality is that no one has come to a consensus about what that means. Like some people have, some people have a very clear idea of what they want that to look like, but there is an assumption that everyone is on the same page and that we're all working in the same direction, but you get to the certain point where you realize people are not working towards that same direction and people are not on the same page and that creates some type of like tension. Um, and I think that tension is important because that clarifies where people are and where people are willing to go. But I think we're in the process of being so excited about getting to that eventual point, we try to skip over this very big step of actually dealing with the shit that is, which is people don't agree. People's extent of what they consider to be revolution is not the same. Some people are happy with just having a black president and they're cool. They can take a nap. We're good. We accomplish what we need to accomplish. Some people want more. And I think that is the point that we need to really focus a lot of attention is like what happens when we are all there in that space and we realize that we are not on the same page about what the world should look like. And we keep skipping over it because we're so eager to get to this particular point. Like we don't want to do the hard work. And I think that becomes a big problem. A final question from the audience asked the panel to share their take on appropriation as activist art has a history of being subsumed by pop culture. Avram begins his answer with an anecdote. Uh, we appropriated other artists as well and we did it as a throwdown, we wanted to put other, this was during the height of the NEA debacle and intellectual rights cases were making their way through the court and we wanted to purposefully put queer artists, artists who we knew to be queer, who were possibly not even out, some of them, or artists who were political, to force their hand to, do, to respond to our appropriation of their work. We stole Barbara Kruger's typeface for that reason. We used Danny Leibowitz's picture of Jesse Helms in Art Forum. We could have used any picture of Jesse Helms. We used Annie's picture because we wanted, she hadn't said or done anything about AIDS and neither had Susan at that, well, Susan I think wrote AIDS and its metaphors, but I don't know if that participated in on the level that we were thinking of it. So I think there's that as a strategy, appropriation could be really useful to advance the conversation. And I think people talk about history as a, as a pendulum swing from left to right. I actually don't think that's accurate. I think it's more like a spiral. I think it goes from left to right, but it also moves forward in very imperceptible ways in ways that capitalism isn't even necessarily aware of, but if we're smart, we are, and can tune ourselves into. So there's some really fucked up things going on in the world in terms of the rights of the oppressed, but there are also advances that have been made. I'm content with the idea that the answer to the question that you're proposing or that we're debating may not be in this room. It may not be in any of the heads of the people who are in this room, but maybe it will be in something that one of you writes in 2070 that someone else reads who figures out how to crash this code, and that is the point of social engagement, is to continue these conversations that are about resistance so they don't get completely subsumed in conversations about the Kardashians. <laughs> You've been listening to Audio Interference, produced by Interference Archive. The archive is collectively run and volunteer-powered. If you like what you've heard today, consider making a donation to help keep the archive up and running. Just go to interferencearchive.org and click on Donate. 
from all of us at Audio Interference. Thanks for listening.